So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. I want you to be very attentive this morning because I really believe this truth will help you, okay? Verse 4, in such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of our, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you would use this passage in our lives this morning. Be my thoughts, be my words, glorify yourself, manifest yourself. I pray and I cry in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to think just a moment with me. I asked you earlier, what do you think of yourself? Now, here's the reality. The reality is in our flesh or in our humanity... Um, listen, when we try to think of ourselves or we try to examine ourselves through our own flesh, I promise you, you're always going to feel and you're always going to have your feelings override the reality of truth. Now listen to what I'm about to say. How you and I see ourselves is based upon divine revelation of His Word. It's not based upon self-condemnation. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times what will happen is uh, we'll sincerely want God to search our hearts. And listen, we ought to want God to search our hearts. Listen, I promise you, you, you ask God to search your heart. He'll put his finger on some things in your life. And we need to repent of those things and deal with those things before the Lord. But at the same time, if we're not careful, what will happen is, is we will now begin to step back in what I call self-condemnation and we lose perspective of what the Bible says about us instead of what we think about us. And listen, if you get to the place where you begin to dwell on what you think about yourself instead of what God says about yourself, you're going to absolutely be discouraged, dismantled, and when trials come in your life, they're literally going to tear you out of your frame. And so you and I need to understand what God says about us is all that really matters. Now, listen. There's two things that takes place. Our flesh is deceptive in two different ways. Number one, our flesh is deceptive concerning, in many cases, salvation. Now you say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of people that say they're saved but are not truly saved. And because of that, their flesh tries to justify their salvation. When at the same time, the Spirit of God's trying to convict them of their salvation. And what happens is they draw back from their their life, I'm a good person, I, I try to serve others, I try to do this, I try to do that. And all of a sudden they try to justify themselves by what they do or who they think they are instead of the reality of what God says about them in the Word. But at the same time, this can be just as true for Christians. In other words, you and I can be deceived concerning ourselves as Christians. In other words, we can see ourselves in such a, a manner or such a way where it becomes self-condemning. And what happens when that happens is your joy begins to go. Your, your, your vitality of your spiritual life begins to go. And you do not walk in the reality of what Christ has for you in your Christian life. Now, I said all that to say this. Paul was being attacked on every side. 
Now, remember what we've already looked at in 2 Corinthians. There was really two groups of people in the church of Corinth. There was one group that had genuinely been converted, genuinely been saved. And they proved that out that when Paul wrote that first letter that was a stinging, stinging letter, uh, they repented. And you say, how do you know that? Because two chapters later, we're going to find out. It says that godly sorrow worked repentance in their life. And they were truly saved, and they truly wanted to obey God and walk in the things God had for them. But there was another group in the church of Corinth that was not saved. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because later on, Paul's going to say this to that group. He said, examine yourself to see if you even be in the faith. I mean, because there was no uh, evidence of repentance. There was no evidence of desire or conversion in their life. And Paul would address them later on in 2 Corinthians. And this second group was the group that was giving Paul so much trouble. Now, they were questioning Paul's motives. They were questioning Paul's love for them. They were questioning Paul's call. They were questioning whether Paul really was called to preach the gospel. And they even questioned Paul's apostleship. Now, you have all these people saying all these things about Paul and to Paul. Now, let me ask you a question. If Paul was not settled on who he was in Christ, if Paul was reflecting on who he thought he was by his own own way of thinking and not who he is in Christ, how many agree that would dismantle Paul? But yet Paul was a man that kept going. Now, did he have his moments like any of us? Absolutely he did. But Paul just kept on and kept the faith. You say, why? Because Paul understood something you and I need to understand. Not who I think I am, but who God knows I am in Christ Jesus. And this is the essence of what you and I must grasp a hold of, okay? So now, with that being said, let's look at our text. The first thing I want you to see is the confidence of Paul. Now, remember in in chapter 3, the first three verses, they were challenging him about his credibility. And and he said to them, he said, do you really want me to go back and get a letter of reference and bring to you that you'll know that I'm absolutely called of God? And, And then he said, hey, listen, he said, I got the best letter of reference you could ever find. And they said, what is it? They said, you're the epistles of Christ written in your heart by the Holy Spirit, and said, what God done in you is the best evidence that what I'm preaching is of God, through God, and by God. And so he says, this is the greatest reality. But yet at the same time, Paul says in verse number four, he said, in such trust have we through Christ to God, Godward. Now, you say, what is he saying? Well, he's saying, in the midst of all this accusation that's been thrown my way, he said, listen, I have a revelation. And listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Your faith begins with God. does not begin with you. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the... So in other words, if God hadn't said it, you don't have nothing to trust. Now listen... If you understand the Word of God, you're you're going to be able to trust God that He's faithful. You're going to be able to trust God that He's holy. You're going to be able to trust God that He's sufficient. You're going to be able to trust God for... Why? Because God's Word has made that clear. But faith begins there. And here's what Paul said. He said, and this is the trust that I have through Christ to Godward. In other words, the realization of Paul was this. The revelation of Paul was this. That his faith was found in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, Godward. 
So in other words, Paul, his faith was not based upon what man was trying to say to him or what man was trying to convince him of or what he even thought of himself. His faith was based upon the person of Christ, who he was in Christ, and who Christ was in him. And that was the basis of his faith. Now listen, when you understand those truths, that's when faith becomes so, so sweet. Because then, instead of trusting God to do something he's already done, you begin to trust God for what he's already done. And you begin to trust God for who he is. A lot of times our prayer life, guys, are are wrapped up in asking God to do what he's already done for us. I mean, how many times have have I shared this with you? How many times do we find ourselves praying, Lord, I need victory over this in my life? Well, you already have it. Now, you need to appropriate it by faith, but you already have it. You say, well, how do I have it? Because who's your victory? Christ. And so, in other words, I'm to to trust him. Why? Because of not who I am, but who he is. Not because of where I am, but where he is. And you say, where is he? Well, number one, he's at the right hand of the Father. The majesty on high is our high priest interceding for you and I day and night. But at the same time, he's in you. He's everything for us. And so Paul said this. This is the revelation of Paul's trust. I want you to see, secondly, the realization in Paul's trust. Notice what he says in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Now, what is the realization Paul's come to? Well, it's found in this word sufficient. The word in the Greek means this means to be competent, to be fit. And here's what Paul said. He said, I've come to a realization that outside of Christ, I'm not competent. I'm not fit. I'm not fit for ministry. I'm not fit to live the Christian life. I'm not competent to live the Christian life. Outside of Christ, I'm just not competent or fit at all. Now you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. You're you're trying to tell us that we don't need to condemn ourselves. And now you're saying we're not fit to do anything. Well, guess what? The greatest freedom from self-condemnation is realize you're not fit, but Christ is more than fit. That's the greatest freedom you can have. Because here's what Paul says. Paul said, I've come to realize something. I've come to realize that in myself, in my own education. Now, remember, Paul was a smart dude. You say, what do you mean? Well, listen, he said under Galil. He he said under the rabbinical teachings. He knew the law frontwards, backwards, forwards. And and Paul would even say of himself, uh, listen, here's what Paul thought of himself before he was saved. He said, listen, uh, uh, if anybody's touched righteousness in the flesh, it's me. Paul went on to say, he said, listen, he said, I wasn't just a scribe. I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Hey, listen, I I wasn't just of a tribe. I was of the tribe, Benjamin. That's touching the law. Paul said of himself, I'm blameless. But what happened when God got a hold of his heart? Here's what it says in that same passage, Philippians 3. He said, but when God opened my eyes, when I had the knowledge of him, being the revelation of him, he said, I had to call all those things but dung that I may gain Christ. I literally had to come to a place of setting aside my, who I thought I was. I had to set aside what I thought I could do. I had to set aside where, who I thought I was in the eyes of God. And I had to count all those things but dung that I may what? Gain Christ. 
So here's what Paul's saying. I've had to come to the realization to renounce my own wisdom, to renounce my own ability, to renounce my own way of thinking because I'm not fit or confident outside the person of Christ. Now listen. What gets so many people in trouble? Manly Beasley used to say this all the time when he was alive and preaching across this world. Manly Beasley used to say the greatest need in the church in America, the greatest need in the church of America was to know who you became when you became a child of God. And most people don't realize through the lens of Scripture how God sees you. Because if you don't see yourself the way God sees you, I promise you, how are you going to trust him correctly if you're not trusting him to work in and through you what God has placed in you? I mean, listen, this, this, this stuff will set you free. Now you say, preacher, you've shared a lot of this stuff with us. I've shared it with you a hundred times. But it's like that one old preacher, he pastored his first church. And when he pastored his first church, his first sermon, he preached. And boy, people just, wow, preacher, that was a great message, great message. And the next Sunday, he preached the same message. 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 And, and finally, his deacons walked up to him and said, listen, pastor, we know you're young. We know this is your first church. Uh, we're going to give you about two weeks off to study because we know preparing sermons has got to be new. He said, no, I've got about 20 sermons prepared. He said, the problem is you ain't got the first one yet. <laughs> now listen, repetition is the key to all learning. And so you and I need to understand this truth, and I'm going to try to share it in a, in, a, in a little different light from this passage because I want you to grab it. So when you and I see that in myself, I'm not sufficient to live the Christian life. I'm not sufficient to do ministry. I'm not to sufficient to walk through this trial of my life. I'm not sufficient to do anything, any of those things. When you and I see that, that's the beginning of seeing yourself through divine revelation. And that's where God begins to set you free. It starts right there. Now, this is Paul's realization. Now, I want you to see, thirdly, the resources in Paul's trust. If we stopped right there, how many agree we're left really in trouble? I mean, if we stop right there, I can't do anything, uh, I, I'm not sufficient, I'm not fit, I'm not competent, how many agree we're in trouble? But aren't you glad Paul realized something else? Paul realized that even though he couldn't, God could. Now watch what he says here in verse number 5. He says, now, that we are sufficient of ourselves, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Now, watch what it means. This word sufficiency here, the sufficiency being of God, is the same word he used earlier in verse 5. So, in other words, Paul says, I realize that separate from Christ, outside of Christ, I'm not competent, I'm not fit, I can't do anything, but in Christ, hey, he is everything to me. He makes me competent. He makes me fit. He makes me be able to live the Christian life. He makes me have what I need for ministry. He allows me to rest when everybody's attacking me. He allows me to have peace 
when everything's falling apart around me. And boy, when you see that, here's what will happen. It's like a weight's been lifted off your shoulders. Because then, your peace and your rest, now listen to me, this will help you, is not based upon what you do or don't do. It's based upon what he has done and who he is and what he's doing in you. And folks, when you get into that place, it will set you free. Because what happens is we ask God to put a finger on things in our life, and God does. I promise you, God will always answer that prayer. Y'all say amen. And I don't know about you, but um, sometimes mirrors show the truth. You know, I've told y'all before, whoever created the mirror to put outside the shower needs to be dealt with. I don't know about y'all, the first thing I want to look when I get out of the shower is not me in the mirror. You know why? It tells the truth. I don't like it. The Word tells the truth. Spirit of God tells the truth. But what will happen is this. Instead of understanding this truth, all right, God, you're showing me this in my life. Now I've got to do better. Let me tell you something. That's an exercise in futility. What would you do to save yourself? I didn't hear you. What would you do to save yourself? So what do you think you can do to live the Christian life? You see, when God puts his finger on things in my life, here's where I come to. First, Lord, I confess. Amen? I see it the way God sees it. Secondly, I trust him to work repentance in me and to walk in the truth that he's shown me. One of the things that I find very difficult for me to swallow is most of what's being taught in America today is, is what I call disciplined Christianity. Now you say, what do you mean disciplined Christianity? Well, it's this kind of mindset, all right? Let's say that I, I'm going to discipline myself to serve Dean for a whole week. All right, so I'm going to wash his feet. I'm going to wash his car. I, I'm going to go and help clink, tr uh, trim his shrubs around his house and I'm going to do all these things. Now, this is just an illustration, brother, okay? Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, he was, he was starting to salivate over here. So, all right, so I'm going to dedicate myself to serve him. Well, then next week I find out Donald. Where's Donald at over here? I find out next week Donald needs me. So now I'm going to dedicate myself to serve Donald. All right, so, so I, what do I do next week? I'll start serving Donald. What have I just done today? I undedicated myself. I forsook him. But what about this? What if I walk up to Dean and I say, Dean, I've realized this life is not about me. And I submit and I surrender myself to you. I give my life 
as a child of God to you. Now listen, here's what happened. Now I'm not working out of external motivation, dedicating myself. Now I'm submitted and surrendered. And now it becomes desire, not duty. You see, if your Christianity is based upon you disciplining yourself, dedicating yourself, you're doing it in the energy of your own flesh. But if your Christianity is based upon you surrendered and submitted to him out of a motivation of love, then here's what's going to happen. Discipline and dedication will be an outflow of your surrender. It won't be the cause of your obedience. It'll be the outflow. See, you'll be far more faithful, surrendered, than you ever were dedicated or disciplined. And what we've taught in America is this, that if you'll do this, won't do this, if you'll do this, won't do this, then you're going to be pleasing to God. i got news for you. That's Judaism. All right, so, so this is the resources in Paul's trust. I, I'm, not, I'm not fit. I'm not competent. But God, you, you, you've made me competent. You've made me fit. You're my everything. Well, let's look secondly at the call of Paul. Look at verse 6. He says, who also hath made us ministers of the New Testament. Now, notice a couple of things, the source of this call. Who has? Who has? In other words, listen, God, I didn't put myself in this ministry. You put me there. You called me to this ministry. Now, what if I told you this? What if I told you that the whole thing about verse 6 goes back to verse 5? Look at these words, hath made us able. Y'all see that up there? Made us able. Y'all see that? What if I told you that's the exact same word as sufficient in verse 5? It is. In other words, here's what he's saying. He said, God, listen, I'm not sufficient. I'm not fitting myself. I'm not competent in myself. But you, you, you are my fitness. You are my competence. You are my everything. And God, you have made me fit. You have made me competent. You put me in the ministry. I didn't think of this on my own. You did it. A lot of times I'll ask people, listen, I want you to pray about doing, doing this or be a part of this. And people come to me all the time, well, preacher, I, I'm just not, I, I can't do that. I, I'm just not good at that. Now, used to, I said this, I quit saying it, but I'm going to go back to it. Y'all say amen. So anytime you say this, this is what I'm going to say to you from now on. Y'all with me? Y'all going to love me? Say amen. Here's what I'm going to tell you from now on. If I thought you could, I wouldn't have asked you. Because if you think you can, then you're not going to depend upon God to do it. And therefore, it's just going to be an, an exercise in futility and an exercise of your flesh. Listen, I had two great fears when God called me to preach. Can I tell you what they were? Number one was heights. When we put these panels up the other night, uh, they had this scaffolding. And I told the guys, I said, guys, I'll do anything you ask me to do, but I will not get on top of that scaffolding. I hate heights. Can I tell you what my other greatest fear was? Public speaking. That's the reason when I went to my wife, my wife's back in the sound, but that's the reason when I went to my wife and I said, honey, I don't know how to tell you this. I think God's called me to preach. She started laughing. <laughs> Why? She knew me. She knew when I got up to public speak, I mean, it was like, listen, I mean, my thoughts were going this way. My tongue was going this way. It just didn't come in unity with each other. 
I mean, my favorite word when I did announcements in church was, uh. Why in the world would God call me to preach? Oh, no, I still ain't figured it out. But praise God he did. But it wasn't based upon my ability. I've said this to y'all a thousand times. I'm going to say it again. God is not interested in your ability. He's only interested in your availability. God is more than sufficient. God's the one that makes you fit. God's the one that makes you confident. God's the one that wherever he puts you, he's the one that puts you. He's the one that enables you to live the Christian life. He's the one that enables you to rest no matter what's going on. It's not you. It's him. It's him. Notice the servants to the call. He said, who have made us able ministers of the New Testament. Now, why just the New Testament? Because it's speaking of the New Covenant. You say, well, preacher, we shouldn't talk about the Old Testament. Oh, no, I love preaching out of the Old Testament. But here's the thing. When you teach out of the Old Testament, you've got to make sure you put it on this side of Pentecost. I've heard preachers after preachers preach on David, said, whew, man, we're all just like David. When he sinned with Bathsheba and spent years and years away from God, we've all been through that. Many of us have been through that. We're just like David. I got news for you. If you're like David in the Old Testament, you're in trouble. Because you and I that are saved have something David didn't have. And you say, what is that? The indwelling Spirit of God. Spirit of God was up on David, but not in David. And here's the reality. Paul says, listen, I've become a minister. The word minister means a servant. I've become a servant to what? The new covenant, the new testament. Why? Because in the new covenant, it's not that the law is something out there that I hold myself up to a standard to and try to achieve through the energy of my own doings. But yet now, God took the law and wrote it on my heart, gave me a new heart, and now the holiness of the law becomes a desire in me. But not only a desire, desire in me but it comes with an enabling power of grace in me and now all of a sudden the law begins to be lived out through me not because of what I do but because of who he is I'm a servant to the new covenant this is the servants in the call specifics of the call New Testament New covenant. Now, I want you to hear me, okay? I believe with all my heart that these truths are the only truths that God has put his finger on throughout the Word. Now, the Word always speaks of who? Christ. All right, so let me ask you a question. Who's your life? Who's the one that lives the Christian life? Who gives you discernment? Who gives you wisdom? Who's your victory? Who's your joy? Who's your peace? Folks, listen. If I preach anything other than Christ, Him crucified, Him resurrected, and Him living in the believer, 
I'm preaching a false gospel. But 90% of what I hear in America is do this, don't do this. And that's Judaism. That's what the Jews believe. Y'all love me? Say amen. It's essential we grab this. Well, let's go to lastly, the commission of Paul. And I'm going to close. Look at the bottom of verse 6. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Paul says there's a restriction in my message. There's something God won't let me do. He's not called me to. He's not enabled me. He's not made me fit to do. You say, Paul, what is it? He said, preaching the letter of the law. Why? Well, he says, the letter what? But the Spirit gives what? What about the letter kills? Well, what does that mean? letter mean? It speaks this. It speaks of the standard of the law. Now, I want you to listen. It's not that the law is not essential. It is. Matter of fact, Paul said this. It's the law that is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Paul said, I wouldn't have known what sin was if it wasn't for the law. So what is the purpose of the law? Well, the purpose of the law is it shows the holiness of God. And then it puts us in light of the holiness of God that now in light of the holiness of God, we see ourselves and we say, "Uh uh-oh, I can't live up to that standard. See, the Jews thought they were keeping the law, and the Lord Jesus come along time and time again and said, oh, you don't have a clue. (laughs) I I mean, remember the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, what did the Lord do in the Sermon on the Mount? You say, but I say. 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 Why? Because they were lowering the standard of the law low enough to where they thought they could make themselves feel good about themselves. And God said, let me tell you what God really meant by it. I mean, you say that you shouldn't commit adultery. I say that if you look up on anyone else with lustful eyes, you committed adultery. You say you should not hate your neighbor. I say if you, if you have hate for your neighbor, that you have committed murder. And so they would look at this, and Paul said, I, I'm not going to, listen, I, I'm not here to preach and put people under that. This is the restriction in Paul's message. But folks, listen, whenever God starts putting his finger on things in our life, what happens in our humanity, if we're not careful, is we begin to try to, to, try to do better, and we try to, try to make ourselves be better, and we try to measure up to please God. I want to tell you something. I'm going to let you loose on something. Y'all ready? Say amen. The only thing that pleases God is Christ Jesus. It's not what you do. It's not what I do. It's what he's done. And who he is. Let me just throw a couple things out. The purity of the law kills. Because it sets a standard that none of us can keep. Let me just real quickly. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. He says, wherefore the law is holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me. God forbid, but sin. That it might appear sin. In other words, the law showed me the sin that's in me. That's what... That's what the death came from, working death in me by that which is good, that the sin by the commandments might become exceedingly what? For we know 
that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. This, the purity of the law, will leave you in an absolute place. It'll kill your joy. It'll kill your peace. It'll kill your rest. If you try to measure up to God by what you do, instead of resting in him for who Christ is, you will be a miserable, miserable person. And you'll condemn yourself over and over and over again. Listen, if God puts his finger on something in your life, repent of it. But listen, if God don't put his finger on it, don't you put your finger on it. The law. Not only the purity of the law kills, but performance of the law. In other words, if I try to achieve it, if I try to measure up to a standard, even if it's in my mind, even if it's not the written law of God, but something in my mind, if I do this, God will be pleased. I want to tell you something. Now, y'all going to love me say amen. You know why a lot of people go to church in America? Because they think it pleases God. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to love on you. Y'all going to let me love on you? Say amen. God's not pleased when you come to church. He expects you to be there. Amen? God's pleased when his son is manifested in your life. But if you try to live yourself under a standard, measuring up, You'll be a miserable individual. Let me, let me show this to you real quick. Exodus chapter 24. When, when Moses came down uh, one of the times from Mount Sinai, remember he made seven trips up Mount Sinai. And God would give him pieces of revelation by pieces of revelation. And he would come down. And here's what uh, Exodus 24, 3. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said Will we do? Can you imagine? I mean, look, Moses comes down with this part of the law and he, he tells the people, let me tell you what God said. Let me tell you the standard of God. And the people, what they say? We'll do it. We'll do it. How'd that work out? Let me tell you how it worked out. Moses went back up and while he was gone, they built a golden calf. Listen, let me give you another illustration. Peter, Peter, the Lord said, listen, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'm leaving you. Hey, Peter, what did Peter say? Oh, listen, they'll not take you. As long as I'm alive, they'll not take you. I'll make sure that that, and, and what did the Lord say? Oh, Peter, you don't know your own heart. Now, did Peter mean it? Was Peter dedicated? Did Peter have any power to accomplish it? Hey, Peter, wasn't you with that man? No, I, I don't know who that man is. Hey, listen, I, I think I saw you with him. I think I saw you. No, you, you, your eyes are fooling you. You're lying. Third time, he cursed he even knew him. But what happened in, after Pentecost? To the same man who had no power, dedicated, but had no power to walk in obedience. What happened when the Spirit of God came in him? The Sanhedrin came to him and said, listen, if you don't quit preaching the gospel, we're going to cut your head off. What did Peter say? Oh, listen, I'm telling you right now, you do whatever you need to do. I'm not going to quit preaching the gospel. Same person, but a totally different man. You say, why? Because the law was written in his heart. It wasn't on stones anymore and him trying to measure up to it.
don't know about y'all, but I'm having a good time. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 15. Paul had this same problem after he was converted. After he was converted, Paul had this same problem. Why? Because all he knew was living under the law. That's all he knew. And now he's saved. And he just, he just as a saved person, not being taught these truths yet, he, he, he begins to, or just being taught these truths, he's learning. And as he's learning, he, he goes back to his old way of trying to live in the energy of the flesh. Watch how it worked for him. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. And for that which I would, I do I, do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Anybody want to anybody stand up and give testimony about that? Hey, listen. I guarantee you every single one of us has walked in that. Now then, it is no more the I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, it's a desire. That's how we know Paul was saved. He, he wouldn't have had a desire if, it, if he wasn't saved. He said, the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I to do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And if you read in, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Deliver me from what? Trying to live? Thinking he was confident and fit to obey God without Christ? Y'all hear me? All right, let's go on. The powerless of the law kills. In other words, the law gives us the standard but doesn't give us the power to obey it. Notice, secondly, the requirement in Paul's message. So we saw what was restricted in Paul's message. What is required in Paul's message? He says, I do not preach the law, the letter where it kills, but of the Spirit, for the Spirit gives life. So what's the source of this life, the source of this new covenant, the source of this inward desire, an inward ability that comes by the Spirit of God, by His grace, to be able to walk in the truth of the holiness of God, the Spirit of God. Paul said, here's what I preach. Because he's the source of it all. The sufficiency in this life. It is the Spirit in you that makes you fit to obey God. For years... I used to think that if I saw people not living right, it was my job to go and tell them, this is the way you should live. This is the way you should live. This is the way you should live. God over the years has begun to teach me that I can stand up here all day long and tell every one of us in here, the Bible says you to do this, do this, do this, do this. How many agree? The Bible says we're to study. The Bible says we're to pray. The Bible says we're to, to walk in the Great Commission. The Bible says, y'all agree with all that? Say amen. And I can sit up here hour after hour and after hour, and I can tell you, all right, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. But can I tell you, that's not going to help you one bit. 
But the greatest thing will help you is this. When I teach you, and I teach myself, I'm still having to learn this. Y'all say amen. When I teach myself that when the Spirit of God saved me, he gave me a passionate desire to obey him and to walk in these realities. Then I come to the place of realizing that when I'm faithful, it's not me, it's him. But when I'm disobedient, it's me and not him. Because he's sufficient. Well, lastly, and I'm done. The surety of life. The Spirit gives life. All right, listen. When did you receive the Spirit of God? The day he saved you? Would you agree with that? Say amen. All right, so now, in that context, it would be aorist tense. Now, you say, preacher, there you go using those words again. Aorist means a one-time event never to be repeated. How many of you agree today when God saved you, he gave you the Spirit of God? That was a one-time event never to be repeated. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. All right. But what if I told you that here it's present tense? You say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, he gave you life one time when he saved you because he gave him himself, himself. But here's what it means. That life continues to flow through you moment by moment, day by day. And can I tell you something? There's never a bottom to the well of his life. There's never a bottom to anything. Listen, there's nothing that you can put, be put before you. There's no temptation put before you. There's no trial put before you. There's no, there's no a, a call of ministry put before you that the Spirit of God is not sufficient to continue to allow that life to flow through you and flow through you and flow through you and flow through you. Can I tell you today, every step I take, Every word I speak, every breath I breathe, the Spirit of God is sufficient in His life to be everything for me. This is what Jesus tried to teach him. John's Gospel. They were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They go out through the water gate, bring a pitcher of water, pour, pour it up on the altar once a day, signifying all the blessings God's gave them. Seven days they did that. On the eighth day, they went out through the water gate with the same picture. This time they didn't put water in. It's called the eighth day, the last day, the day of mourning. And they come and symbolically poured an empty picture upon the altar signifying, but there's one thing he hasn't done. The Messiah has not yet come. And at that moment, the Bible says the Lord Jesus stood up. And said, all ye, all ye that thirst, come to me. I'm the water. And here's what he said. And from your bowels shall flow rivers, continuous rivers of living water, signifying the Spirit of God. So every moment of every day, if you're saved today, the Spirit of God continues to flow. You don't get more of him. You got all you need. But you experience more of him every single day. So simple question. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself through the eyes of self-condemnation? 
or through the eyes of divine revelation? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Unfit, not competent in and of yourself, but more than fit and more than competent in Christ Jesus. Do you see yourself as defeated or victorious in Christ? Do you see yourself as a failure? And by the way, without Christ, we all are. But in Christ, do you see yourself as an overcomer, not to be overcome? This ain't positive thinking, folks. This is Bible faith. This is just allowing yourself to see yourself the way God sees you in his word that he has spoken through his word. And when you begin to walk in the reality of these truths, here's what's going to happen. God's going to release you. The burden, the unrest, the lack of joy, the discouragement, the self-condemnation will begin to go away. And for the first time, maybe in your Christian life, you'll begin to enjoy the fullness of who Jesus Christ is in you, through you, for you. And that is victory. Father, I stand amazed at your love, your mercy, and your grace. I pray, Father, that in this place this morning, you'll break down some barriers in people's lives. Father, I pray that you'll show us whatever we need to see that we can repent. But Father, I pray that you'd also show us that the reason you show us those things is not for us to be walking in the mully grubs, but for us to walk in the joy and the fullness of who Christ is in us. The outflow of true repentance is joy. And Father, I thank you for that. So Father, I wonder who here this morning would be willing to come and bend a knee Say, Lord, I've tried, tried so hard to live the Christian life. But right now, I send send up the white flag of surrender. And right now, instead of trying, I'm just going to trust you that you are the Christian life. And as I submit to you, as I give my hands and my feet and my ears and my mouth and my eyes to you, Father, I'm going to trust you that you're going to fill my mouth with the words I need to hear. You're going to fill my ears with the words I need to hear. You're going to fill my eyes with the things that I need to see. You're going to, you're going to take control of my hands to put to whatever you initiate in my life. And you're going to walk through me, through my feet. That I would walk only in your will and your ways. Lord, right here. I surrender. I can't. You never said I could. You can. And you always said you would. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said.